because we believe not one person, not one child should ever wake up or go to bed hungry. Because more opportunities earlier create stronger foundations later. Today on Because Radio, we join another Winnipeg Foundation summer internship program site visit at West Broadway Youth Outreach. The Bruce Oak Recovery Center breaks ground and launches its capital campaign. We visit the Lactubani District Museum on a road trip. And this week's Winnipeg impact maker Jane Mahar talks about community support through 100 women who care Winnipeg. All this and more on Because Radio. Hello and welcome to Because Radio, episode number 19. My name is Robert Zirk. Uh, Sonny Primolo is on vacation this week, but I'm joined by a very special guest host, Jeremy Morantz. I'm filling in for Sonny. <laughs> how are you doing today, Jeremy? Good, how are you? I'm not too bad. Um, it's the last week of August for the show. You know, it's been a pretty good summer, but it's always sad to see summer go. Well, yeah, even though it is, uh, it is the last week of August, it already feels a bit like fall. Yeah, it's been a little chillier. We've had some had some rain. Temperatures have dropped a little bit. Yeah, you can already feel it in the air a little bit. There's those uh, sweltering hot uh, July summer days are no more. But that being said, it's been a it's been a pretty good summer. And uh, even though fall is around the corner, there's always a lot going on here in our city, and we are more than happy to uh to bring those stories to you so we've got a great show uh for you this week today's foundation feature is focusing on children youth and families and we're going to be learning a little more about west broadway youth outreach west broadway youth outreach runs after school and summer programming teaching important life skills and helping kids to reach their goals the organization was part of the Winnipeg Foundation Summer Internship Program, or SIP, this year, and we spoke with summer intern Praise Oluwafemi and West Broadway Youth Outreach Assistant Director Loana Valdez to learn a little bit more about the organization as well as the SIP experience. <laughs> this week's Foundation feature on Because Radio focuses on children, youth, and families. Welcome back to Because Radio. As you heard last week, I attended a few of the Winnipeg Foundation Summer Internship Program site visits. This week, we'll hear from my sit-down with summer intern, Praise Oluwafemi, and West Broadway Youth Outreach Assistant Director, Loana Valdez, about their experience with the program. Up first, here's what West Broadway Youth Outreach intern, Praise Oluwafemi, had to say about her experience with the Winnipeg Foundation Summer Internship Program. I'm here at West Broadway Youth Outreach with summer intern, Praise Oluwafemi. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Why did you join the Summer Internship Program? I joined the Summer Internship Program because previously this year I was involved in YIP, which is Youth and Philanthropy, and this was an opportunity that was provided to Yippers if we wanted to, and I 
didn't really have a plan for summer and I knew that I wanted to do something and I've always loved working with the nonprofit organizations and doing things for my community so definitely this was one of the things that has been on my list for a couple of years. The Winnipeg Foundation matches interns with organizations based on your skills and interests. Uh, why do you think you were matched with uh, West Broadway Youth Outreach? I've also worked with kids for a couple years, and I love working with kids. I've babysat for a couple years, so I think that's one of the main things that I think they saw. What were your experiences like so far? My experience has been pretty amazing, if I'm being completely honest. It blew my mind away because I was really nervous at the start because I was like, I'm not really sure what to look forward to or some things to do, but it's definitely been amazing. Some of the things we've done, we've gone to museums and just getting the kids exposed to knowing about some things. Sometimes it's just little fun things that we do, little fun activities. And yeah, it's just really amazing. What are some of the skills that you've gained through this whole experience? I think one of the things is our patience. I think working with kids does. You do need some patience. And I think, yeah, sometimes it's just a really hot day and you're outside and they're like yelling and you just want to do some things and you're just like, okay, just calm down. And I think perseverance also is definitely a pretty big thing, learning to just get through it and just power through because sometimes the kids are watching you. And when they see that like you can get through this and you are doing this, they also want to do it. You just held a site visit for your fellow sippers and mentors at West Broadway Youth Outreach. Uh, what are some of the things you were excited to share about your experience? I was definitely excited to share the goals of West Broadway. One of the things is how we are reward-based to the kids on how they work, if they work hard, like things like that. Like they're, And that's something that I think definitely sets WBYO apart from some other drop-in standards and things like that is that we definitely focus on hard work and that was one of the things I was really excited to share. What will you do or think differently now that you've had this experience? I think I'm very cautious now like sometimes I'll go on the streets and I want to jaywalk and I'm like no no I can't do that. Some of the kids saw me jaywalking right now they would not like that so I think it's definitely influenced me. Sometimes I'll like giving scissors I'll be like okay turn it the other way or I'll see something I'll be like oh push that in because I'm like the kids could get hurt and I think it's definitely influenced me that going forward too I think I'll definitely be doing that I'll be like hey watch out for that make sure you stay on the right side we're sharing the sidewalk things like that. So obviously this experience meant a lot to you. Would you think that you'd be involved still with the charitable sector going forward? Yes, definitely. Even if it's by volunteering or any other thing, for sure. I definitely would love to do it because it's been a really good experience. Why should people volunteer or support nonprofit charitable organizations in our city? Even before like I sort of started volunteering or got involved with GIP and nonprofit organizations, I definitely also was like, I don't know if I should do it or not. But it's definitely something that you literally don't know what could come out of it. And it's something that sometimes it seems, oh, it's just volunteering, it's just doing this, but it could make a big impact on the kids. Like some of the kids, sometimes I look at them and I'm like, oh, they're doing what I told them to do or they're doing this and that. And sometimes it's just a word or encouragement. And then sometimes they come to me and they're like, thank you, praise, or things like that. And you don't know the impact of what volunteering or doing something could have on your community or the people around you because sometimes it seems that oh it's just this or I'm just picking up garbage or whatever but if a kid sees you they're like oh maybe I should pick up my garbage I should do this. What would you like to say to the people at West Broadway Youth Outreach? I have learned a lot from it. I've learned about compassion I will say with the kids you know be more compassionate with them. Just thank you for this opportunity. If I wasn't here I'd probably be spending my summer at home all day doing nothing eating like a bag of chips. I wake up and I'm like oh I've got work I've got this and it feels like I've got something important to do. Sometimes I'm at the bus stop and people are like where are you going are you going to school? I'm like no I'm going to work and I'm like oh I'm a working woman. 
you know? So just thank WBYO for this experience. We also spoke with Loana Valdez about the impact this program has made in their work and the community. What is West Broadway Youth Outreach and what services do you provide? So we are a life skills and recreational program uh, serving youth ages four and up within the inner city of Winnipeg and beyond. Uh, We run after school as well as summer programming, all free of cost for youth. Why did your organization want to be involved in the Winnipeg Foundation's summer internship program? We love having students come in. I mean, a lot of our volunteers are students, and when there's always an opportunity to have somebody come and, you know, inspire and bring their fresh ideas, we jump on that. That's probably one of our favorite things to do. (laughs) So what was it like having praise here at West Broadway Youth Outreach? Amazing, eye-opening, inspiring. I can go on and on. She, you know, was great with teaching us a lot as mentors and as, you know, as an organization as a whole. Um, You know, filling the gaps that we didn't even realize were gaps and noticing them and just building even more of a connection and relationship with the kids was amazing to see. Can you give us an idea of what type of gaps she helped fill? On the back end of things, she was helping us a lot with evaluation. And when we sat down and kind of made a template of what she could be looking for when evaluating a program, a lot of it actually came from her. It was her idea and her thoughts of, oh, well, what if we looked at it this way and, um, you know, surveyed the kids with this kind of question and came up with this theory. And it was so cool to be able to hear that because that was something I had never thought of when I was looking at it myself. So your intern praise just held a site visit here at the West Broadway Youth Outreach for other sippers and mentors in the program. What type of things did she show the interns today and uh, how did she do? She did amazing. She was so energetic and I I loved watching her kind of give the tour. She showed them everything from, you know, our our big homework club room, um, getting them excited about what homework club is like and, um, you know, showing them everything of what we were doing today with Fear Factor and all the crazy fun things we get up to in the summertime. What do you hope interns learn from their experience here at uh, West Broadway? I hope that they... They know that they too have a big impact in anything they say and do with our community. They've got so much potential and they are so inspiring to everybody that they can honestly do anything. As much as we tell our kids, it's the same thing for them. Why is it important that programs like yours exist here in the city? It builds community. That's the biggest thing I've noticed. You know, we, we do, of course, cater to youth and, you know, everything we do is for them. But at the same time, we're bringing in community members such as zippers or volunteers and supporters and it builds to the character of what Winnipeg is and it's amazing to see it flourish in such a small community and then have it trickle and overflow into sort of the surrounding neighborhoods. Is there anything you would like to say to your recent intern praise and for any prospective interns going forward? I am so proud of her for growing and I am so excited to see where she's going to go and where anyone will go and take their motivation and desire to help the community. Thanks, Luana. For those that are looking to learn more about West Broadway Youth Outreach, uh, where can they go to find you? They can give us a call or they can go to our website. It's westbroadwayyouthoutreach.com. And we also have a YouTube channel, which then gives them a little bit more of a glimpse as to the fun things we get up to. The Winnipeg Foundation Summer Internship Program matches youth and philanthropy participants with local community organizations for an eight-week paid internship. The program helps youth to better understand the sector and provides capacity for nonprofits and charitable organizations in our community. For more information on the Summer Internship Program and Youth and Philanthropy, visit the Winnipeg Foundation's website at wpgfdn.org and click Young Winnipeg under the Leadership tab. This is Sunny Promolo, and you're listening to Because Radio. 
Up next on Because Radio, the Bruce Oak Recovery Center broke ground last Thursday, August 22nd, which actually has a special significance as it would also be Bruce Oak's 34th birthday. I actually spoke with Scott and Ann Oak to learn more about what it means to reach this milestone with the Recovery Center and how they hope the establishment of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center will help those with addictions. I'm Jerry Morantz. I'm standing here with Scott and Ann Oak, uh, parents of the late Bruce Oak and the family behind the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Guys, thank you so much for talking to me today. My first question is, so of course it's been it's been a long process, uh, a lot of obstacles in the way of getting this recovery center to be a reality. So now that we're standing here right next to where the recovery center will be on the day construction starts, how does it feel? We're so overwhelmed. It's just like a dream come true. We've worked so hard to get this far and to see with all the generous support that we've had from, you know, the wonderful people, we're, we're standing here today because of them. So it's just great. And of course, uh, naming, naming the recovery center after your son, Bruce, uh, it's a meaningful decision. What does, what does it mean to you? for it to be called the, the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Well, Bruce passed away eight years ago. Uh, we were overcome with grief, and we still are. We have holes in our hearts that will never heal. But uh, I guess when you lose a child, you have choices. One is to resign yourself to your grief and carry on as best you can, and another would be to um, give voice to your grief, try to make uh, something good out of something so tragic. So. Uh, it's been good for our hearts, despite the fact we have holes in them. It's been good for our hearts, and um, you know, we, this will be a, a, a legacy for our son, but not just for him. Um, we're, we're ever aware that this is about more than Bruce. This is about every family who's ever lost um, a loved one to addiction. Um, we, we constantly... Uh, scan the paper obituaries to see uh, you know if if someone has lost a, a loved one to addiction and um, you know it's uh, it happens far too often so part of our mission is to uh, ensure that maybe it won't and that's why this recovery center is so desperately needed so on that what, what do you hope that the recovery center achieves uh, how do you hope it, it impacts our society and people struggling with addictions right now well, we hope it saves lives for sure. I mean, it's 50 men will be able to live here for as long as they need to, to get, to be healthy. So there's no, it's not 30 day, 45 day, you know, 60 day. This is long term recovery, and it's it's proves it proves it's more successful than those rinse and wash type treatment facilities. So. Can you uh, expand on those differences? I understand the philosophy that this recovery center will take is different from other recovery centers. Talk about that a little bit. The Bruce Oak Recovery Center will be modeled after a facility in Calgary called Fresh Start, which is one of the leading recovery centers in all of North America. It has an astounding success rate of 57%, and they're going to manage and run their program here. That program uh, is long-term. Uh, what that means is there's a continuum of care. Uh, that those seeking recovery can stay for as long as it takes to get it right. The average stay at Fresh Start right now runs somewhere between 9 and 18 months. Uh, it'll be the same here. So as Anne said, it won't be one of those rinse and wash programs. And there's nothing wrong with those if they work for you. So whatever it takes to get sober is our philosophy. But um, our experience in Bruce's tragic journey was that uh, those quick programs, 21 days, 45 days, 90 days, um, 
weren't nearly long enough for him and aren't long enough for a lot of uh, most profound addicts. So long-term is the key here. That's one cornerstone of it. And the other is that uh, anyone who can't afford to pay will not be turned away. So it's, uh, it's the opportunity uh, for recovery at no cost, and that's a game-changer in the world of addiction recovery. There's a broader issue, a broader meth crisis and opioid crisis at the heart of our city right now. Uh, on that issue, what are your thoughts on addressing that and making sure that gets solved at some point? Well, we're not experts in the addiction field whatsoever. We're just grieving parents. So, um, you know, th th we will be accepting meth addicts, addicts of every kind come through, who come through the door will be treated. Um, Fresh Start has experience in dealing with meth, so, you know, we leave it up to the experts. We, I, we should add that, um, and Anne is dead on, and that's part of our philosophy, is that we're not qualified to give advice or to you know, uh, get involved in programming decisions. Uh, we're raising the money to get this place built in the hope that it can be part of the solution, and it will be. Um, the meth crisis is horrid. It's, it's tearing a hole in the heart of most cities in North America, and Winnipeg uh, is, is no different. So we need to do something to uh, give those who want recovery a chance at it. There aren't enough opportunities now, so uh, this won't be the entire solution, but it'll be a good start. And uh, Anne's right, uh, we will accept any adult male over 18 years of age suffering from any type of substance abuse, meth included. The difficulty is that you must be clean and stabilized before you can go to treatment. That will be part of uh, the rules and regulations of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Um, so how do you get clean? So we need more detox centers. Um, but, you know, our goal right now is to get this treatment center built because we've got to start somewhere. Before we wrap up, can you tell us a little bit about the lo actual logistics of the recovery center? How big, how many beds, et cetera? It's a 50-bed facility, so two men to a room. Uh, this is 35,000 square feet, mm -hmm. and it ha it'll have gym, uh, theater, a smudge room, um, It'll, it'll be lovely. It'll be like a condominium for these guys. It, we promised the area residents that we're going to uh, put up a building that will be a credit to the neighborhood that would look like a place that you want to live. And that's part of the philosophy of, uh, of recovery, uh, in particular with, with Fresh Start. Build a place in which you want to live, something that doesn't look institutional, something that's warm and welcoming. So that'll be the look of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Um, and it will, it, it will have all the amenities that will make... Um, those seeking recovery comfortable and so that they'll want to stay for as long as it takes to get it right. And lastly, your family has uh, rightfully so become a, a voice in our city for the issue of addictions. So if there is someone listening right now who maybe is struggling with an addiction or knows someone who is struggling with an addiction and they don't know what to do and they don't know where to turn, what do you want to tell that person? Well, we, we try to, you know, refer them to, uh, whether it's a, the Mental Health Association, refer them to Tamarack, but they have to want to go on their own, and they have to go to detox before any treatment centre will take them in. I, I think if we had one essential message that we'd want to pass on to those who are dealing with addiction in their families, a loved one, son, daughter, whatever, don't be ashamed. Um, don't be afraid to, uh, to talk about it. Anne has a favorite expression, and it applies in the case of addiction. You're only as sick as your secrets. 
And sometimes the stigma of addiction and the, and the efforts that, that families make to keep it secret precludes recovery. Um, so, you know, we're not heroes. Uh, we often, I've said this before, one of our failings is we can't shut our mouths. <laughs> we love to talk. And uh, so, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons that, you know, we're, we're outspoken about it. But uh, there's no shame in it. You know, those that suffer from cancer are often seen when they die to stage valiant struggles. Uh, addicts uh, can die ugly deaths and alone. And that's what happened to Bruce, but we're not ashamed of it because he had a disease. And, uh, you know, this disease needs to be addressed, uh, and we're, we're going to do that. Scott and Anoak, thank you so much for talking to me today at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. So happy to be here at the groundbreaking. This is a great thing for our city. Thank you so much for talking to me. Up next on Because Radio, it's the final leg in the Because Radio road trip, which we've been doing all summer. But before we park the car for the season, we took a trip out to Lactabani to visit the Lactabani District Museum, which we'll learn all about up next on this week's road trip. Welcome to the Because Radio Road Trip. Today we're visiting the Lactubani District Museum in Lactubani, Manitoba. Let's go. I'm here with Terry and Jack. Terry is the Vice President of the Lactubani District Museum and Jack, a board member of the Historical Society. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Uh, there's a lot to cover here, first of which being the land that the museum itself is on. I know there's a lot of significance there and there's uh, quite the story there. So what do you want to tell me about the, the land? This land is uh, homesteaded by my grandfather uh, in the early 1900s. Uh, the uh, certificate of patent for the homestead is in the museum here, the original certificate. It's dated 1904, I believe, when he was granted the land. And uh, my father grew up here and I grew up here as well. Uh, in this portion where the museum is situated uh, was purchased by the rural municipality of Lactabani uh, to establish a park. And it was later decided to establish a museum on the property as well. And the, most of the artifacts in the museum uh, exist in this log cabin that, that's, uh, s that we're sitting right next to here. Uh, the log cabin, having gone through it, it's, it's full of many artifacts from the area and many uh, historical significant events. Um, but I, I understand the cabin as well uh, has quite the story behind it. Uh, so why don't you talk a little bit about that? Uh, the cabin is known as the Hans Erickson Log Cabin. It was brought uh, from north of the Pinawa Generating Station. Uh, work began about 2003 to restore it. It took a number of years by volunteer uh, society members, and the building uh, eventually uh, found, uh, was brought across the river by the Pinawa Bridge uh, on a new foundation on this location. Uh, it was originally built by uh, Hans Erickson, uh, a Norwegian immigrant uh, for his daughter Lania. Uh, it was built about 1935. It's a stacked log cabin and it's been restored to on the exterior the uh, the way it originally uh, was and we were allowed to uh, it's a heritage building and we were allowed uh, we couldn't do too much on the outside but uh, the inside we, we had sort of free reign so 
uh, we took down the interior walls and removed the the uh, the stove and uh, um, opened it up as a, as a museum, saving one one interior wall uh, that wasn't covered over, which is our feature feature wall. So you had mentioned the Pinua generating station, and I understand that uh, the generating station has had a tremendous impact on the cultural makeup of the area and the economic uh, standing of the area. So talk about the significance of, of the generating station. There were many uh, European immigrants that came to the area who were tradesmen and laborers to build the, uh, the original Pinawa generating station, which was followed by other stations on the river. And a lot of these uh, people that immigrated to the area to work in the power plants established farms and homesteads in the area and uh, a lot of their descendants are still in the area so this is a really multicultural area and a lot of it is due to the uh, powerhouses, the power plants and the brickyard and sawmill that went before it. One of the first things that uh, I know I noticed when I pulled onto the uh, property here was the train uh, car that's sitting right outside here and uh, there's a story there as well and uh, which is also tied to uh, a man named J.D. MacArthur, who is a significant uh, character back in the day for this area. So tell us a little bit about that. J.D. MacArthur was uh, Western Canada's uh, leading uh, railway builder, and he happened to uh, be one of the contractors on the branch line that came from Molson to Lac de Bonnie. Uh, the line was completed in uh, June of 1901, and the first train came to, to Lac de Bonnie, and it was the, uh, the terminus. Um, the Lactimony Mining and Developing and Manufacturing Company was in existence since 1899 and was uh, manufacturing bricks and, uh, and uh, had a sawmill as well. But when J.D. MacArthur came, uh, it was on the verge of collapse. And uh, J.D. MacArthur, uh, being uh, one of the richest men in Canada at the time, was uh, purchased the, uh, the entire holdings of of the sawmill and brickworks. Uh, he he uh, obtained 2,000 acres of, of land as well as a, a, a town site uh, where the village of Lac de Bonnie, the four streets were laid out. So uh, those were all of his holdings that he purchased from this, uh, the Lac de Bonnie Mining and Developing Company and, and bricks were, bricks and timber were shipped on a daily basis to his, his lumber yard at uh, Higgins and Higgins and King in, in the city. Winnipeg, uh, the exchange district, was booming at the time, uh, prior to the First World War, and uh, and he uh, his original investment uh, uh, tripled or quadrupled in in, in value. And um, MacArthur was uh, involved in the uh, manuf uh, in the constructing of the the largest uh, uh, skyscraper in Winnipeg at the time. It was completed in 1910, and the brick structure was made out of Lactimani bricks. Um, other buildings in Winnipeg were uh, that come to mind are 290 McDermott and 411 Cumberland that were manufactured with Lactimony bricks. Of course, such an ultimately important part of uh, any Manitoba history uh, is to talk about the indigenous elements of that history, and there's quite a, a, a large uh, indigenous display here at the museum. There's even a teepee outside. Uh, tell us about some of the indigenous-related artifacts in the museum. Of course, the, the indigenous people were here from uh, prior to the settlers, and and when the company, uh, like Tony Mining and Developing Company, uh, uh, indigenous people were hired to to manufacture and and work uh, 
uh, clearing brush and, uh, and hauling, hauling lumber. And they were an important part of Lactamani's history. Uh, we're on Treaty 1 and, and Treaty 3 land. And uh, in 2017, we, we did a, uh, uh, a feature display in our museum uh, fe featuring the uh, Anishinaabe of, uh, of our area and, uh, and the contribution that, the, uh, um, that we can't, uh, can't take for granted. Um, they give us uh, well, certain items, beans, corn, and squash, tobacco, um, that we take for granted today uh, are all uh, indigenous foods that uh, we can be thankful for. And the, uh, uh, the teepee is, is uh, significant in this area. They wouldn't have, uh, they would use birch bark uh, instead of the, uh, the canvas that's on the, uh, the reproduction teepee, but uh, uh, smaller in size and, uh, and birch uh, was the, uh, the covering of choice in the boreal forest area. Uh, one thing that's going on here is the uh, the wild rice fundraiser. Uh, it's not often you walk into a museum and uh, have the opportunity to get some wild rice while you're there. So, what's that all about, and uh, what's the significance of it? Uh, wild rice occurs naturally in the river, and it has also been seeded uh, by uh, people that are in the wild rice business. And there was a wild rice processing plant right here in Lac Bonny for many years. It has since closed. But there is still a wild rice area at Rice Lake, which is east of here towards Pointe de Bois. And they've been in business, I believe, since 1915. Uh, and they still process wild rice, and that is the wild rice that uh, we sell as a fundraiser here at the museum. It's obtained from that wild rice plant. Which goes to finance the upkeep and the maintenance of the museum. Uh, Obviously, there's uh, ongoing maintenance required with a log, an old log building that has been restored. And we do have a recently built storage building, but there's always improvements to be done. Heating bills, hydro bills, this all have to be taken care of, and this is one of the fundraisers. That I learned something very interesting uh, and new for me today coming to the museum, and that's that Lac de Bonnie had the first woman mayor in Manitoba. And that's just one of the many interesting displays that you guys have going on here in the museum. So maybe talk a little bit about uh, Edie Brown, the first woman mayor in Manitoba, and, and what are some other interesting exhibits that you want to highlight as well? Edie Brown was, uh, I guess she was... Challenged to be the on a dare, she wanted to be mayor for a day, I guess, and and uh, she nobody nobody ran the first year, I guess, and she was mayor, and then uh, uh, the next year in 1953, oh, at that time elections were held on a yearly basis rather than uh, every four years as they are today, and um, and Edie was uh, was uh, elected by a landslide the following year. Uh, she did a, a huge number of accomplishments for Lactabani. Uh, in 1954, the MacArthur Falls Generating Station uh, was was uh, completed, and uh, it flooded a huge amount of uh, the RM of Lactabani, especially in the Latonia and Lee River areas, and and the water rising all the way to Lactabani. And and Edie Brown uh, successfully negotiated with Manitoba Hydro to do uh, a new sewer and water system for the uh, for the village of Lactabani. Uh, Edie Brown uh, was able to pave the streets uh, prior to her being mayor. They were they were gravel, and she also brought uh, uh, vapor streetlights. Uh, so she did she did a lot of tremendous uh, work uh, in in her uh, years as mayor until 1957. Uh, she was born uh, 
she was born at the Pinawa Generating Station to uh, her uh, her father was from Cape Breton Island and her mother was a uh, immigrant Swede uh, her mother's uh, name was uh, maiden name was Anna Peterson and uh, she worked uh, with uh, Frank Waters construction and um, and successfully uh, uh, worked on uh, draining a lot of uh, a lot of the area and working on I think every generating station on the Winnipeg River the waters construction was involved in. Lastly, I'll, I'll ask you guys about uh, the local community foundation here, the Lactabani Foundation. How is that relationship? I know it's it's still in the early early stages. Uh, how do you hope that relationship will? benefit the Lactabani District Museum? Uh, well, I guess it was through their past president, Jerry Arbez, uh, who brought the, uh, the news of this, uh, um, of this grant, matching, matching grant eh, to the Historical Society, and, and uh, it was brought up at a, at a board meeting and uh, by a close, a close vote, because there's, uh, there's, there's a fraction out there that uh, um, they, want, they want money now as opposed to uh, trickling in over the years, they don't see the sustainability of it, but uh, it, it passed and uh, the Historical Society uh, was able to uh, um, get some donations, could be around $7,000 uh, today, I guess, that's, that's in the fund, and, uh, but it's, it's in the first, uh, first year, eh? so it was all through uh, the Lactabani Charitable Foundation that uh, the Lactabani District Historical Society got involved. And finally, uh, for those who are looking for more information about the museum, uh, they want to learn more, they want to come by, what details do you have to offer? The Lactabani Historical Museum is available ldbhistorical.ca, and we're also on Facebook. And the museum opens in May or June, uh, Saturday and Sundays from two, 12 to 4. In July and August and early September, it's Wednesday to Sunday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's the Lactabani District Museum. Terry and Jack, thank you so much for joining me today. As mentioned, the Lactabani District Museum has partnered with the Lactabani Foundation to establish a permanently endowed Manitoba Heritage Trust Fund to support their work. This program helps museums like the Lactabani District Museum operate and preserve Manitoba's rich culture. To learn more about the Heritage Trust program, visit endowmanitoba.ca. This is Jeremy Morantz, and you're listening to Because Radio. Thanks for joining us on the Because Radio Road Trip. To hear all of our road trips from this past summer, visit becauseradio.org. Thanks, Jeremy. Up next on Because Radio, my co-host Sonny Primolo has been highlighting impact makers in our community as part of our Winnipeg Impact Makers segment. This week's impact maker, Jane Mahar, talks about community support through 100 Women Who Care Winnipeg. We'll learn all about the initiative coming up here on Because Radio. Welcome back to Because Radio. I'm Sunny Pomolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. This week, I'm with Jane Mahar, Director of War Mental Health and Addiction with Manitobans for Human Rights, professional speaker, trainer, consultant, author of My Past is My Everyday, and founder of 100 Women Who Care, an amazing local philanthropic initiative that supports registered charitable organizations in Winnipeg. Welcome to Because Radio, Jane. Thank you, Sunny. 
Before we get started, I was hoping we could get to know a little bit about yourself. Uh, can you give us a brief history about yourself and what has helped you get to this point? Well, I am only at this point because of my life experience, and my life experience has not always been um, good. I've suffered a lot of pain in my past. Um, I was born in England. Um, my father walked out on my mother when she was pregnant with me. She became very ill. She remarried, and my stepfather molested me and, and, and threatened to kill me if I ever told her. So that was sort of the beginning of my life. What has happened to get you to here today? I immigrated from England when I was 23. Um, there are different types of alcoholics. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and there's different types. And I was what you would call a functioning alcoholic. So although when I start to drink, I can't stop, I would schedule my drinking usually around when I had to work and when I didn't. But because I also have attention deficit disorder, it was really hard to hold down a job. So I realized I had to become self-employed, and I had to do temporary work. That way, I wouldn't be bored. And that's very important when you have ADHD. So I've done a series of jobs. Um, I've worked for women's clinics. I've always been involved in advocacy. Human rights is something I've always been very interested in. And I was asked by a philanthropic chap by the name of Richard Walls, um, who had bought a block on Main Street, including the Occidental Hotel, if I would consider transitioning that place <laughs> into what is now Red Road Lodge, Home for Recovery. I took it on and I did it and uh, it's still thriving today. What got me involved was the fact that I would see things that I thought were just horrendous happening here in our own city mm. and my first experience when I very first came was seeing a pregnant indigenous woman lying on the sidewalk outside the Occidental Hotel, would you believe it? And there was nothing we could do. We just had to keep driving, apparently, because we'd get beaten up if we stopped. I mean, I'd never heard of anything like this, and I wanted to really do something, too, to help the indigenous community. And so... In the end, getting to work at Red Road Lodge, which was the Occidental, which she was lying outside of, I, I truly think that there was some divine intervention there. We mentioned earlier you are the founder of 100 Women Who Care. For those who are unaware of 100 Women Who Care, can you share with us what that is? Absolutely. And we're looking for members. <laughs> if you can afford $400 a year, and you can spare four hours, then you could be a member of 100 Women Who Care Winnipeg. Mm. Uh, my girlfriend started 100 Women Who Care in Victoria, told me about it, and said I should do it here. So I said, okay, and I did. It is actually such a simple concept, people can't get their minds around it. So I will just quickly explain that we meet four times a year for one hour. We meet at the Victoria Inn on Wellington, and they are our sponsor in terms of giving us a facility. Every member nominates a charity of their choice. They write it on a piece of paper, and it's put in a box. And then we pull three of them out, and the three members that nominated those three charities get five minutes each 
to address the other members and to really push that charity that they're voting for and hoping will win. Once that is done, all the members then vote on one of those three charities, and whichever one gets the most votes is the charity that is going to be the recipient that's going to get the donation. The next thing, we all just simply write a check for $100 directly to the charity. So there is absolutely no administration fees, nothing. And then I gather up all the checks, I go down to the charity, and I plonk them down. And all these charities are registered, so every member gets a tax receipt. We only donate to charitable organizations that have a registered charitable number. What has been so wonderful for me and for the group is that I have found out about charities I knew nothing Mm -hmm. about. There are some amazing charities in this city and charities that really need help. To be able to give somebody $10,000, as Sister Leslie said, House of Peace, she just said, they just gave it to me. There was no strings attached. <laughs> and, and that really is, uh, I would have to say, probably what's most attractive about 100 Women Who Care. Based on those presentations that you get from the three ladies, is there any particular presentation that really stood out in your mind that was just like, wow, wow, this is amazing? Oh, boy. I better be careful here because they're all so no amazing. Bias. Okay, no bias, no bias. No bias. <laughs> I think the one that really surprised me the most that I didn't know existed um, was called A Port in the Storm. Hmm. And basically, uh, it is like a Ronald McDonald house, but it's for adults. Oh. So we get a lot of adults coming in from northern Manitoba. Uh, well, we don't. Not 100 women. Um Uh, The hospital does, the health science center. So it could be people with diabetes, people uh, having chemotherapy. And these people don't have the money to stay in a good hotel. And that's what Poured in the Storm provides. It provides them with a place to stay and food so that they have a home whilst they're undergoing treatment. Awesome. Can you name a few of the different organizations that you have supported so far? I remember the first one that we did, um, which was just wonderful, and that was Riding for the Disabled. And we went out to the to where the horses were. What do you call that? The stables. The yes. stables where the <laughs> horses were. I had a blank there. That's the ADHD. Uh, we went out there and uh, just to see these children with autism, etc., their little helmets on, you know, riding these horses, so happy. Uh, that was that was really wonderful. And then Jocelyn House, of course, uh, Villa Rosa, Deer Lodge, um, North Community Food Center, Never Alone Foundation, St. Matthew's Maryland Ministry. I mean, uh, I can just, Esther House, Riverview, I can go on Absolutely. and on and wow. on. So it's really quite a plethora of different organizations that you're Oh, yes, sure. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing it for years now. Awesome. And it's so wonderful for me uh, with uh, working with Manitobans for Human Rights because I've always got my eye out for are any human rights being violated here, mm. there, or anywhere, because it is just so important. There, there are 
human rights being violated in our city Absolutely. right now. And so that's where my passion is right now. Mm. I've done 100 women. I'm actually going to pass it over probably, oh. yes. And as I did with Red Road Lodge, after I got that going, I'm a project girl. Like, <laughs> I like new projects. And so starting tomorrow, I'm starting a, a new project with a couple of colleagues from the community. And we're really taking a look at human rights as it relates to poverty and a living wage. Looking forward to hearing about that in the future. 100 Women Who Care is the name of the group, but there isn't a strict number of people allowed to join. Is that correct? That is correct. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely correct. We have had 100. Um, I think right now we're down to about 60 members. The commitment is one year. So sometimes people do a year and then they leave and go to another charity. That's it. So right now, if there's 40 wonderful women out there listening to this, please consider going to our website, www.100100.com women who care winnipeg.com and just check us out it'll tell you how to join it'll tell you how it works and it'll tell you our next uh, oh our meeting dates and our next meeting is going to be on tuesday september the third always a tuesday <laughs> awesome so it's coming right up is there anything else that you would like to add before we let you go today please 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 try and show compassion to those that are panhandling and those that are lying around on the streets. They didn't choose that life, and they need compassion. And it's one of the things that uh, my colleagues and I that are meeting tomorrow are going to start working on and looking at to see what we can do. These people need to be cared for. Most of them have serious mental illness, and they need to be looked after. 100%. Jane, to cap it off before we go, What would you say is your favorite thing about Winnipeg? The sunshine. Mm, I came from England, and (laughs) it rains all winter. And uh, I am somebody with mental disorders and and can uh, experience depression. And so one of the things that I found has really helped me and is absolutely wonderful is the amount of sunshine. And I love the winters. Nobody does, but I do. Oh, to see that sun on... And the blue, blue Blue sky, sky, you know, and shimmering on the snow. It looks like diamonds sometimes. I guess we forget Um, to look at it like that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we do. You know that? (laughs) Yeah, go and spend spend six months in England and and look at, (laughs) I, I mean, it's the most beautiful country in the world. But if you have a challenge with gray skies it's it could be quite oppressive Mm. well thank you jane for sharing your story of impact for those out there if you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city message us on social media by searching the winnipeg foundation at wpg fdn or reach out and call us at 204-944-9474 extension 360 again that's 204-944-9474 extension 360 we'd love to hear about it this is sunny pomolo and you're listening to because radio that's a wrap for today's episode of because radio thank you so much for listening and thank you to all of our guests who joined us today because radio is produced by the winnipeg foundation in partnership with 93.7 cjnu fm 
Our Because Radio theme music, Call of the North, was written and performed by Micah Ehrenberg. You can find more of his music at micaehrenberg.com. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes or subscribe to our podcast, please visit becauseradio.org. Again, that's becauseradio.org. If you have any feedback about today's show, ideas for stories, or Winnipeg Impact Makers, please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Or you can also email us at becauseradio at wpgftn.org. Also, you can follow the Winnipeg Foundation on social media at WPGFDN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Jeremy Morantz, signing off for Because Radio. And I'm Robert Zirk. On behalf of my co-host, Sonny Primolo, thank you so much for listening to the show this week, and we'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. Music